Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Marketing the Invisible. I'm joined today by Shane Snow, aka Shane Danger. <laughs> All the way from where, Shane? Hey, g'day from down under, and where are you hanging out? I'm in New York City. New York City, the Big Apple. Yeah. Cool. Your copywriting and everything you do is just so dang funky and interesting and engaging. I can't wait to get into this interview. And oh, that's so nice of you to say. Thank you. Oh, it's just it's refreshing because it's it's you know it's the leading edge of being who you are. I think. Uh, but you can anyway. You're combining that authenticity with some pretty cool strategic stuff. But we'll get into that in a moment, I guess. All right. So um, for those of you who don't know Shane, uh, hold on to your hats. He's an award-winning journalist and best-selling author of Smart Cuts, and the forthcoming book coming out in June this year, Dream Teams. He's the co-founder of the content technology company, Contently, which helps creative people and companies tell great stories together. And you're not going to get anything fresher and more authentic than the way that Shane does this stuff. But he also serves on the board of the Contently Foundation for Investigative Journalism. And you'd have plenty to work on in the political scene in, in the US right now, Shane, I'm sure. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> Shane's writing has appeared in Fast Company, Wired, The New Yorker, dozens of more uh, top publications. He's the fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, a recipient of the Columbia University's Innovator Award for furthering the cause of journalism. He's been called a wonderkind by The New York Times, a digital maverick by Details, and his work has been called insanely addicting by GQ, and he wishes they had been talking about his abs, although, <laughs> hey, about one meter above that is your hair, which I think is insanely ridiculously cool. <laughs> and I am insanely ridiculously jealous. And I have you to tell you, me folks, should have just flatter me and butter me up. Just, what, what is just, this? just before we started recording this, Shane actually had a cap on, and I reminded him it was a video thing as well as a podcast. And he said, "I better take my cap off." I said, "Well, mate, if if I had hair like yours, I'd never have a cap on." <laughs> Anyway, enough of the buttering up. Let's get into the real oil here. The, uh, there's genuine buttering up, by the way. The title of our little gig today is How to Create Your Own Dream Team in Just Seven Minutes. So if you want something that's a fresh, that's fresh, that's authentic, that was working today, you want to listen up. Our seven minutes is going to start now. Shane, question number one is who's your ideal client? My ideal client is a team leader or someone who wants to be an invaluable team player. And that can go in hmm. business as well as uh, sports or entertainment. That's kind of the sweet spot. Okay. So what is, what is the problem that Dream Team solve? Problem is that most of the time group work is more frustrating. That working together is hard. The hmm. bigger a group gets, the more it slows down. Um, the promise that humans will combine to become more than the sum of their parts doesn't always happen, doesn't usually happen. So that's right. the problem. Right. And we want to get better because of each other, not get slower because of each other. Most things are, that are important require a lot of people. When people are suffering from this problem of, you know, the, the sum of the holes are not exceeding the sum of the parts, what sort of symptoms are they going to be experiencing when the, the team is not a dream team? You know, one is kind of a, a feeling of a lack of unity, of sort of uh, the opposite of a shared consciousness. You don't feel like you're in step. Another is conflict, which, you know, I can talk about in a minute, is not everything that it seems, but the feeling like you're working against each other, you're working at odds, that's a symptom. Group think as well. Being mm. stuck in the same patterns of thinking, agreeing too much is actually a, a symptom as well. You know, I would say kind of the main symptom is this feeling of frustration or not reaching your potential. 
Yeah, I think we'd probably use you in the White House right now, but that's another <laughs> probably another interview. <laughs> so when people have this, they're experiencing symptoms, and they understand that the team is not everything it could be, that perhaps there's too many yes people on the team, perhaps there's not enough positive conflict, et cetera, and they try to fix that. What are some of the common mistakes that people make in trying to fix that? The sort of things that they've been told they should be doing and they try to stop at it. So the biggest thing that people try, the teams will jump to when they're experiencing these problems is say, we need more unity and we need more culture fit and we need core values and we need to get everyone on board with what we're trying to do and who we are. It turns out that that's the exact opposite of what you need. What you need is to get into a zone of optimal intellectual cognitive friction, which actually means that you want disunity. You don't want people to not get along, but you want them to not completely agree. So we, we kind of have this, this myth around a lot of these things of what makes a great team. A great team is a team that moves forward, that makes progress, that solves problems. It's not necessarily a team that all wears the same uniforms and all thinks the same or gets along famously. And in fact, some of the most famous, amazing teams in history famously did not get along very well, but it wasn't personal. It was their ideas that didn't quite jive. So that's the first thing, the first mistake. Other common mistakes that people make when trying to solve this problem, I think, is having the leader kind of take over and, and make the decision. Say, hmm. you do this, you do this, you do this. I'm, you know, the team is going to work because I put the pieces in place. What works best with the kind of dream teams that we all hope to be part of is when the leader's job is actually to, rather than hog the decisions and, uh, and absorb the information, the leader's job is to give information to everyone and empower them to make decisions. Let them work the way that they want to work, however they want to, in exchange for the accountability and responsibility for making the right decisions and doing the right job. But it's, that's often opposite of the way that we try to kind of put our hands around this problem when we see a team that's sort of falling apart. We want more control. What we need to do is make sure the right people are in place and then give them the control to work the way that they want and the power to make decisions is much harder to let go. And it's, it's actually harder to manage than, uh, than you think, but that's the way that it happens. Sounds like a whole new paradigm. It, yeah, it is. It's kind of flipping. That's what a lot of uh, my book Dream Teams is about, is flipping some of these common conceptions on their head. You know, the, the core values paradigm being one in particular that, you know, say it's great when we all share values, which it is. But it turns out that that has this sneaky little effect of getting people to feel like they have to think the same or they have to agree or else they won't be part of the group, which sometimes a much more powerful motivation than pushing the group forward. Do you find when you speak with established traditional leaders about this, they fear a loss of control? Often. I mean, I think there's this kind of an initial fear of a loss of control and that I think if you don't trust your team, mm. then they go. You're going to worry about that. If you do, or if you can, you can reconfigure a team so that you can trust them, then it's liberating as a leader. Then you can do the job that is kind of the most fun, which is inspiring people and putting people together, helping them do their greatest work, rather than having to play cop. It's hard at first, but I, I think it, you know, yeah. a lot of what it counts on is having the right people. Right. Yes, that's, that's a big part of the game. No doubt. Three questions left, 75 seconds. One valuable free action that people can take just to step in the right direction not the complete solution but one thing they could do pretty fast that would take them in the right direction with this so having a high amount of intellectual humility or open-mindedness is really important for anyone who's, who's trying to do this mm. sort of thing mm. i actually have a, a free test that you can take shanesnow.com ih ih for intellectual humility 
that can tell you in what areas you can improve and how you can improve so that you can be a more effective leader and team player. Beautiful. And that kind of answers the next question as well, but there's another one, I think. The next question is, what is one valuable free resource that you can direct people to that will further help with the problem? And we can do a bonus thing here because, folks, if you go to shanesnow.com forward slash the snow report and subscribe there, which is eminently worthwhile, you're also going to get something that's pretty free. But I'm going to have to let you do that because I've got one question. Find what that is because I've got one question left and just 10 seconds left. More years of experience, what's the one most valuable free tip that you can give people? Five seconds. That sharing your personal story is the best way to get people to want to work with you no matter how different you are. Perfect. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for checking out our Marketing the Invisible podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. And if you want to generate five fresh leads in just five hours, then check out www.5hourchallenge.com.